0: Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead. Follow your different. And this is the Oddcast for people who value real different conversations about how to design a legendary business and a legendary life. And this is is the second part of our two-part series on intimacy and sex. And I'm telling you, this is very different for us. If you're not a regular listener, um, I want you to know (laughs) we're in territory we don't normally spend much time in. This is an extraordinary episode. I sure hope you heard part one with my dear friend, intimacy coach Alana Pratt. She's amazing. Check it out if you haven't. It's fantastic. And on this episode, this is a stunner. None other than Alice Little. And she is a legal sex worker and the number one luxury companion uh, at the Moonlight Bunny Ranch in Carson City, Nevada, USA. That Alice Little. And we get right to it. Why she loves her job. Why she says it's all about connection, communication, and intimacy. Uh, So she describes her job from her perspective. And then... She also explains what it's like to um, use her service, how it goes down, what it's like. We get right to it. (laughs) Why nothing's too kinky. And um, pay special attention to her advice for how we can all improve our sex lives. I'm telling you, Um, She will break any stereotype you might have of somebody in this line of work. She's very smart. She's college educated. She's fun. She's got some great advice. And she even gives you some marketing advice because she's, she's done an amazing job of getting herself out there. This is a very real, very different conversation about intimacy and sex. I also encourage you to go to Lockhead.com to check out the show notes from this episode. And there's a special link in there of a YouTube video of Alice taking you on a tour of the Moonlight Bunny Ranch. So check that out if you want to. Uh, (laughs) You'll get a kick out of it. Uh, And now, hey-ho, let's go. Well, Alice, I'm sure I am excited to meet you.
1: Ah, uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we were able to make this happen.
0: Oh, me too. Thanks for carving out the time. I have so many questions. <laughs> um, uh, first of all, what what do you like to be called? Like you you describe yourself as a what?
1: I am a legal sex worker, sex educator and intimacy expert.
0: Got it. I just want to make sure I get the lingo down. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, (laughs) I got a million questions, Um, but maybe the first one is, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about your job.
1: Oh, it is a job unlike any other. So sex work is only legal in one out of the 50 states, Nevada. I previously was living in the Midwest in Oklahoma and traveling around and educating. And it was through there I learned about brothels, which is something that had never come on my radar beforehand. So I start asking my friends, just like you, a million and one questions. What's it like? Is there a standard day? And what's so unique about this space is that it is never the same. Personally, I'm only available by appointment. And so my day looks a little bit different than that of my co-workers. My job very much so isn't just sex. It's so much more than that. It's communication, connection, intimacy, and teaching people how to love themselves too.
0: Hmm. Wow, that's not maybe where I thought we might start, but what do you mean teaching people how to love themselves?
1: Well, how many women have never had an orgasm on their own? And the answer is actually significantly high. So one of the things that I do is I teach people how to connect to their bodies through radical self-acceptance. A lot of people look in the mirror and judge. They're not happy with the way they look, the fact that their hair is going gray, that they've gained weight. And they forget the fact that self-love really starts with self-acceptance. And through the act of connecting with people and working with them, it gives them the ability to connect deeper to themselves and appreciate who they are. In many ways, my job is to be a mirror. I show somebody for who they are in that moment, in that place and time.
0: Hmm. So you're really helping people to get comfortable in their bodies and comfortable with themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. And Sex is something that is terribly stigmatized in this country, so most people have never had an opportunity to really explore in that capacity, let alone be able to do so in a safe way.
0: Hmm. Say more about what you mean there.
1: Well, our society doesn't necessarily create the space to learn how to kiss, how to touch. What does quality foreplay actually feel like? How do you transition from having a casual conversation, to then expressing interest in someone. And because we aren't educated on these things, most of us are going around just kind of taking a stab in the dark and hoping that we're doing the right thing. Unfortunately, as as we see through things like Me Too, and there's lots of issues that oftentimes arise due to a lack of education. The is very much so are a space where people can ask questions, nothing is taboo, and there is no judgment. If you want to try something that you think is freaky deaky, I'm going to tell you it's another Tuesday for me. Like I'm very, very comfortable with helping people and enabling them to explore things that they probably couldn't in their day-to-day lives.
0: (laughs) So, I, you know, we have this time together, so why not? So when you say what's freaky deaky for you?
1: Oh, nothing. I don't think there's any reason to pass judgment on sexual activities or interests. Fetishes are far more common than most people realize. Same thing with kinks. Most people have something that turns them on and if they allow themselves to explore it without judging themselves, they might be really surprised as to how pleasurable it is. Like, here's a really good example. A lot of women get off on the idea of their partner grabbing their neck during sex, not necessarily choking them, but they like that kind of control-dominant aspect, and they're not sure how to communicate that, let alone explore it safely. When I work with couples, oftentimes they turn to me and go, well, what should we try? What should we do? And I'm able to look back on my toolbox of knowledge and start pulling out different activities, toys, things that they can explore, and really use to enhance their sex lives as well as their personal connection, too.
0: it sounds extraordinary, this, um, this service that you provide. <laughs> um, and so I'm curious, how did you decide to do this, Alice?
1: It's something that I was very naturally drawn to. I've always been the sort of person that wants to help others. To give you an idea, I previously worked as an EMT, for example. I always wanted to be hands-on and connect on a really deep level, one-on-one, in order to gain a deeper understanding about how people think and feel. I was traveling around as a sex educator. So I already was sharing my knowledge basis and this allowed me to do so in a far more intimate capacity than standing on a stage and giving a demonstration.
0: Yeah, you've gone way beyond the demonstration, right?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And so, I, I, this may be terrible, but I, and I'm not sure I've ever even asked anybody this question, but it seems appropriate. What's it like to have sex with you, Alice?
1: You know, it's a life-changing experience for many people. Oftentimes, when we engage with a new sexual partner, there's a certain level of fear that's often associated with it. We're afraid that they're going to be judging our bodies, judging our performance. Whereas when you come into a space with me, none of that stigmatization, none of that pressure exists. We go at our own We take our time, we lean into foreplay, we actually take the time to find out what feels good. Where are your pleasure spots? And it oftentimes changes the entire way that people have sex moving forward. Like, when's the last time you turned to your partner and said, show me what feels nice? And most people are like, oh, shit, I have literally never uttered those words in the bedroom. Like, I barely want to have sex with the lights on, let alone have a conversation while getting intimate. And I enable people to do that and it's really eye-opening.
0: So you said show me what feels nice.
1: Yes. Show me, like, do you enjoy having your neck touched? Is there a certain spot of your body that's more sensitive? How do you touch yourself? Show me what that looks like. So this way I can make sure I'm giving you pleasure as your partner.
0: I get told on a regular basis to rub her feet. That's what I, that's, that's the one I get told on the most regular basis, sometimes daily.
1: Hey, and there's nothing wrong with that. Physical touch is such an important element of connection, especially in long-term relationships too. And that's, that's not something that's unique to people. You figure like the, the whole partner grooming is something that we can observe in animals, uh, Monkeys Oftentimes will do that where they're interacting, touching, and they have that level of connection within the group that helps to establish and deepen their bonds.
0: Well, I know this might sound crazy to you, Alice, but um, we have hens, chickens, and I adore them. And it turns out, and I didn't know this until we got them, but it turns out as pets, they're every bit as great as a dog or a cat. Mm. And to your point, they like to be held, some of them more than others. Uh, you know, and there's one in particular, Beatrice, who's deeply bonded to me and she will yell for me and then I'll pick her up and hold her and she'll stop and she'll make a very happy noise. And and she just wanted me to pick her up.
1: Mm-hmm. There is so much power in touch and connection. And it's really unfortunate that our society has gone in the direction that it has with technology that no longer encourages that skin to skin, face to face communication. We always rush about our lives now and there's never this moment to stop and actually acknowledge the other person's existence that they have needs and feelings and thoughts far beyond just that segment that you see like one of my favorite things to do whenever i go grocery shopping is i love to actually just walk up to somebody and start asking them questions oh what are you getting today that's awesome how many people are you cooking for are you preparing for the week Do you tend to go to the same recipes or do you like to try new things? And you really learn so much just by engaging in interested, focused talk with people.
0: And so um, (laughs) walk, walk me through the process. If I were to show up and we had an appointment, what would happen?
1: So the very first thing we would do after I give you a giant hug, of course, is I would walk you through the property and give you a tour. You figure this place has a tremendous amount of history. The Bunny Ranch has been in existence since the 1970s, and all we have done is expand outward. We have a pool, we have a gym, we have a horse stable, and a whole bevy of different themed suites that we're able to enjoy together. After getting to see the premise, we'll then return to my suite, which is where I am right now. We'll sit on this very love seat and then have a conversation in which we talk about what are you looking to get out of this experience? Is there something special you want to cross off your bucket list? Is there some education that you really want to learn more about? Is there something that you've always wanted to try but have never had the opportunity to? And then we work together to build an experience that's really personal and unique. And then, of course, we'll go back and forth. It's a combination of how long we spend together plus what we do together that kind of brings to the final total. And after we come in agreeance to that, I'll do something called a DC, which is a polite way of saying dick check. Essentially, I'm just looking to make sure everything looks happy and healthy, no lumps, bumps, rashes, anything disturbing before we then head to the booking office, take care of the financials through there, possibly grab some drinks at the bar, then head on back here and begin our adventure. Other times, I'll end up going out with my guests first and sharing a meal or going to a local museum and having an outing with them. So we have an opportunity to bond, which is really fun.
0: And so, okay, that sounds great. Um, if you go off site, um, you go off, you do stuff, you have dinner, uh, you go for a, a hike, whatever it is you go do. Um, do you come back to the bunny ranch for the for the event or <laughs> or can the event happen anywhere?
1: Oh, well, anywhere where it's legal, of course. We do have to stay within the state of Nevada, but by all means, if you're interested in going and having a life-changing experience and exploring the Vegas strip and then heading back to a hotel room afterwards, absolutely we can make that happen.
0: Oh, I didn't even realize that was legal. Mm-hmm. For some reason I thought it had it had to be at the ranch.
1: It's only in certain counties where you were allowed to leave the property and go on what's called an outstate. Here in Lyons County, it is perfectly legal for us to do so.
0: Well, chalk one up for Lyons County then. Mm-hmm. And um uh, what what are your favorite parts of what sounds like an absolutely fascinating job?
1: Learning. Every time I meet somebody new, I feel like I learn something from them, their life experiences, the things that they share with me. And it gives me deeper insight both into myself and how I can use this job to continue to help others. That's really what's most meaningful to me is the constant pursuit of knowledge and understanding. No two people have lived the same life, had the same experiences, and we are so very much so shaped by those experiences, which inform what our sexual pleasures are, and getting to understand the root origin of, oh, so that's why you're into this thing, is really interesting for me. And I mean, the sex is bad. fascinating.
0: That. What's that?
1: Oh, the sex—it's not bad either. There's no denying that there's a certain pleasure to be had in connection.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, if it wasn't so fun, we wouldn't want to do it all the time, now, would we?
1: It's true. It's true. Now,
0: what I find fascinating about the way you uh, go about this is. It feels like you're taking time, so you're creating at least an image in my mind of of a relaxed environment, and Mm -hmm. one where where you're very open, and that enables the other person to be open. And as I hear you describe these things, what I can't help but thinking, Alice, is, well, you're describing what sounds like a good sexual chemistry or good sexual partnership that people might want with their everyday partner, so to speak, if I could put it that way. That's what it oh, sounds sure. like.
1: Yeah, I mean, oftentimes there's this stereotype of it's limousines and popping up in bottles of champagne. And it's really not about that. It's far more stripped down and far more true to life it gives people the opportunity to discover what is it that I'm looking for in a partner? What is it that I love about myself? Where do I want to go in the future and what do I want that to look like?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And so I guess that leads me to, you know, another huge area I wanted to touch on with you, which is, um, what advice do you have for, uh, couples Um, who want to have a breakthrough in this department?
1: The very first thing that couples can do is have a willingness to talk about sex outside of the bedroom. Make time first thing in the morning, make some coffee, make some breakfast, sit down and ask your partner some very simple questions. What's something you've always wanted to try in the bedroom that we haven't done? What do you enjoy most? What do you not enjoy that we're doing that you'd like to try differently? And being open to that critical feedback and not taking it negatively is really essential. For example, you very well might find out that there's something you have in common that has just never really been brought to the table before. Having that communication is a really good place to get started. I I heard somebody earlier to say that communication is essentially lubrication, and it's, it's true. Nothing happens unless you're willing to talk about it and speak it into existence. So I would encourage couples to start by talking about their desires. And then, once you've identified the things that you want to explore and experience, set some time aside. Actually go ahead and plot out like a nice romantic evening and make space for that encounter to happen. Don't have it be the same standard Okay, the end of the night. Take your clothing off. We're just gonna get off and go to bed. Like, no, make an event of it. Make it fun and special, and get that energy up.
0: I love it. It sounds fantastic. I'm, I'm taking notes. (laughs) Um, and why do you think more people? Because the other impression I get listening to you, Alice, is a lot of this is also taking some time. And I know many of us feel rushed and so forth. And so, why do you think? or do you think, t- you tell me that, that people don't prioritize taking time with sex?
1: I think the reason why people don't prioritize taking their time is they're not confident enough to slow down and appreciate the moment. When you're nervous, anxious, and unsure of yourself, it's only natural. The through would be like, oh, I'm just going to get it over with real quick. Like, I have no idea how to do foreplay, so we're just going to speed past that part and get to the one thing that I do know how to do. And so people fall into these almost sex routines where they find themselves doing the same things in the same order, and they feel an inability to break outside that mold. And time is essential in order to break outside that mold. Like, slow down and undress your partner rather than just having them get naked and put their clothing on the floor. Like, actually take the time to touch their body before you undress it. Take each article of clothing off slowly, sensibly. Let your fingertips explore the small of their back and the nape of their neck. Find out what happens if you run the fingertips, like, right behind their earlobe. Does that feel good? Does that not feel good? Do they enjoy when you have your fingers in your, their hair? Like, take the time to explore those things, and you're going to learn so much more about your partner. And probably have one of the better sexual experiences of your life. <laughs> oh,
0: you're fantastic! Um, oh, no,
1: beautiful.
0: no, you are. You, you are. I. I. And 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 I don't know how else to say this. You're un. You're um, not unpredictable, but you're unexpected. I guess
1: that is very true. That is a really good right? way to describe me.
0: Maybe I'm judgmental or something, but I think when people hear about uh, the line of work that you're in and uh, that you're the number one gal that does this, that there's a picture that comes to mind and there's an image that comes to mind and and you don't fit that picture at all. Yay, the way
1: you're talking about awful. it. I am and, a four foot eight petite redhead who is college educated worked in the medical field, and considers myself to be an intimacy entrepreneur. When most people hear the word sex worker, they picture a tall blonde with implants and lip fillers, like very, very radically different images. But the truth is that sex workers come in all shapes and all sizes. Are there some people that meet that stereotype? Absolutely. And they're just as valid within this space as I am. Every single person is an individual. And I I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that we stereotype. It's just the reality of society that we tend to make stereotypes about things. Like, how many times do we find ourselves saying, well, these politicians, or oh, you know, therapists or doctors, they're all the same. It's only natural for us to typecast and lump groups together based off of whatever stereotypes we've been presented with. And the problem with sex work is that the media does not provide any sort of nuance to what it means to be a sex worker. We, typically speaking, get about five minutes of screen time, an emphasis on the high heels and the curves, and then nine times out of ten, that character goes away and isn't generally important to the main storyline.
0: Well, And and that's you know, the, the cool thing about getting an opportunity to talk to you is to, is to find out who you are. And of course that you're an actual person, right? It's, the, you know, you have a high profile in the media and it, it would be very easy to turn you. And frankly, I think a lot of people um, into a cartoon character and some people end up having that happen to them. But, um, and so I guess with people being or some people being very judgmental about what you do. And there are some very derogatory words uh, to describe your profession, as you well know. Um, Oh yeah. What is it you want people who are judgmental or maybe who look down on what you do, what would you want them to know about, about um, your profession?
1: This is nothing new. Sex work has literally existed since the dawn of time. If you look at Hammurabi's code, which is our very first piece of legal legislation in existence that we know of currently, there is even a line about sex workers and how thou shalt not discriminate against sex workers or look down on them. Instead, we should revere them and respect them because they are the educators for our society. In Greco-Roman times, when men came back from war, they had to be cleansed or blessed by a priestess, a.k.a. a sex worker, and have a, a ritual done, a.k.a. sex, before they were allowed to reenter society. They had to come out of that traumatic experience and reconnect with themselves and someone else in this intimate capacity before they were seen as being A-OK again. Sex workers are healers. We have been in Egypt. We have been in Rome. We are in the United States. We're in Canada. We're in Australia. We are and have been everywhere. And so the stigmatization of sex work is what is new. That's only happened in the past 200 years and was very much so driven by the Catholic Church, which, by the way, up until 200 years ago, they were running brothels. So the demonization of sex workers is what's truly the, problematic. The
0: Catholic, hold on, hold on, Alice. You just told, told me a new one. The Catholic Church was running brothels?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah the catholic church ran brought. wow did you did you know that the military during world war II encouraged the soldiers to go and see courtesans and sex workers in japan so that totally happened that was the whole thing did you know that there was an entire like undercover operation i want to say it was called like operation midnight sun or black sun that literally involved sex workers being on the cia payroll did that happen those are all true facts of our history that we just want to brush under the rug because someone in our lives has told us that we're supposed to judge and stigmatize. And if somebody's willing to question the origin of their judgment, why do I feel this way? Why do I have these beliefs? It really can be life-changing because it encourages people to then think for themselves rather than having an assumption installed in them by society.
0: And do you see a day, Alice, where more states in the United States, um, you, your, your line of work will be
1: legalized? Absolutely. Um, Vermont just introduced a bill proposing for decriminalization. New York has had several proposals for decriminalization. Washington, D.C. has had several proposals for decriminalization. But it can't just stop there. We need a lot more than just decriminalizing this. We need to legalize it and create a system that allows people to not just survive, but thrive within the sex work space. I am able to do what I do and make the kind of finances I do because there was a system in place that allowed me to come in, do this line of work within a safe capacity where we're tested, it's regulated, and all of that is necessary in order to see this exist in a way that benefits society as a whole.
0: So you said three things that. uh, Oh, let me. Before I get to the three things you said, I'm reminded of. uh, Do you know the comedian Jim Jefferies, the Australian comedian?
1: Yes, yes. Make that reference. Oh my God, I love that. I remember
0: the line about about about. um, I think he was talking about pornography and he was was talking about how, well, pornography and, and, and sex work in that. He said, um, if you pay someone in the United States to have sex with you, it's illegal. Unless your friend, Steve videos it and puts it on the internet, then it's legal. (laughs) It seems, it just seems asinine, right?
1: It really is. At the end of the day, when you, don't stigmatize something and instead create a framework that allows it to exist and thrive, it inevitably does so much good for society. Not just on like a person-to-person level, but even on a taxation level. Like, can we talk about for one second here the fact that the brothels in Lyon County make up 30% of the discretionary budget for the entire county. Like, if there were no brothels, our cops would literally have to like train and ride wild Mustangs because they couldn't afford top cars. We pay for that. <laughs> you're welcome. So the sex
0: like, workers in your County, you're paying for the police. That's what you just told we
1: me. Are, we sure are 30% of the discretionary budget. That's a tremendous amount. Now imagine what that would look like at a grand scale. If we were to legalize this, tax this, put an excise tax on it, just like we do with marijuana. We could use those tax dollars to fix our roads, improve infrastructure, invest in our schools and in the future by educating the public. Like, there's so many potentialities. And I have no doubt that if we had national level decriminalization, as well as national level legalization, it would be a multi-billion, with a B, billion dollar industry.
0: Well, I I have no doubt about that. I mean, we just look at what's going on with cannabis and where I live in Santa Cruz, uh, California, our our city uh, government is now moving to. I don't know if they've I don't know if it's happened yet, but it's moving to um, deprioritizing the police force around um, magic mushrooms.
1: Mm -hmm. It's like, hey.
0: Like, if we're going to legalize all that, why not legalize prostitution while we're at it?
1: Yep, and I feel like That's that conversation, true. it's coming to the forefront of society. People are talking about it. Politicians are talking about it. For goodness sake, Elizabeth Warren showed up at a sex worker rally and said, I stand with sex workers. Never in the history of candidacy has that ever happened before. That's tremendous.
0: Wow, that is interesting. I hadn't heard that. Now, I did want to go back on the math. You say the county gets 30% of its uh, taxes. So, um, and if any of this is inappropriate, kick me. But what would the sort of average experience with somebody like you cost for the consumer?
1: (laughs) No, that's actually a really great question. And unfortunately, one that I legally am not allowed to answer. So the state of Nevada has in place where all conversations around price and times have to happen at the location itself. It's the reason why you don't see rate lists anywhere. And when you try to Google it, there's like wildly inaccurate numbers. The safest answer I can say is plan for a four-figure experience. If you're looking to spend a prolonged experience or explore something that might be a little bit kinkier or a little bit more taboo, you might be more towards the five-figure range. But by and large, you're investing in an opportunity to learn, to connect, to have an experience, to grow tremendously as a person. And it's something unlike anything else on the planet.
0: <laughs> well, there you have it then. Um, and I'm curious, <laughs> I'm curious, um, what percent, you know, for, for, uh, for every thousand dollars of revenue what percentage of that is, is is tax or how does the taxing work and, and how does the tax base sort of get to be that size?
1: So how the taxation works as far as the 30% discretionary budget, that is actually coming from the cost of the licenses. Each brothel has to renew their license annually to the tune of $150,000 per license. Then you figure there's all the associated fees that go along with that. And that in of itself is around $500,000 here in Lyon County, which is pretty wild. There isn't a specific excise tax that is currently in place, but I wouldn't be opposed to seeing something like that enacted, especially if that would allow for the expansion of legalization. I think most sex workers would be happy to give up an extra 2 or 3% of their income to have the freedom to work anywhere in the states that they so choose, rather than traveling out to Nevada. I live here, so it's super easy and convenient for me. But for some of my coworkers, they have lives and families, children, and they have to carve out two weeks at a time to come out to Nevada, stay, work, and then travel back home.
0: So not all of your colleagues uh, live in Nevada. They're coming from out of state in some cases? Yes. And so you also made a comment earlier. You said safe tested, and regulated, and that those were very important things. Uh, c- could you sort of elucidate on that for me a little bit, Alice, why why that's the case?
1: Sure thing. So in terms of safety, everybody is buzzed in or out of the gate. Once you come through the gate, the very first thing that's going to happen is you will be asked for your ID. Here in Lyon County, the age is 18, but in some locations closer to Vegas, the age is 21. After your ID is checked, if you have any bags, they'll also ask you to open them up, make sure there's nothing too dangerous on the inside there. And from that point, moving forward, you are then free to interact with the ladies, have a lineup, etc. On the ladies' ends of things, we're tested every seven days with a cervical swab and once a month with blood work. That is a mandatory and required in order for us to be able to work. I don't like to use the stigmatizing language of clean versus dirty, but you do have to have your test results back before you are able to legally work. Additionally, every single room at the bunny ranch has a panic button just in case of emergency. I mean, the only time I've had to hit my panic button was because there was a tarantula. And like, in my mind, that's absolutely an emergency because I'm not dealing with a big spider. No, nope, nope, nope. I took my shoe off, threw it at that button, and did not get off my bed until maintenance came and escorted that spider off the premises. But <laughs> well, you've
0: never had to hit the panic button with a client?
1: No. I've had a couple people hit it on accident thinking it was like a call to order button for like drinks or something, and they'll hit the button and be like, yeah, could we get like a couple of beers? And they're like, actually, that's not what this is for. Oh, I will totally bring <laughs> beer anyway, though. Oh, good in there? All good in there? All, All good. No problem.
0: Yeah, you know, it It, it, it does remind me a lot of um, of uh, cannabis. You know, when I grew up, it was a sketchy thing if you wanted to get pot, right? It was sketchy. And when something like this, I got to believe if I want to do what you do and I'm not in a safe regulated environment like you describe, you're taking a tremendous amount of risk if you're not in the in, in in the in environment of the law and the ranch and so forth that you just described, if you're out on your own, so to speak.
1: Yes. And especially for sex workers that work in the independent and unfortunately criminalized sector of the industry. There is a tremendous amount of personal risk that they're taking on. They don't have the ability to call the cops if some fellow decides to try and stealth and take the condom off. Whereas I have every single right to kick that guy out. No questions asked. There's the door. Sayonara. We have the ability to say no at any point in time for any reason that we so choose. And that's incredibly empowering. Um, about the only flaw that I find in the existing brothel system is that it's limited right now to women. We don't create space for trans workers or male sex workers, and therefore they have no option but to work in the criminalized and independent sector.
0: I I didn't realize that. So if I as a man decided I wanted to do this, there's no legal uh, option or opportunity for me in Nevada to do that?
1: That is correct. There is no legal male escorting or no legal male sex work options. At this time, in our country, which is a real shame.
0: And same thing for trans?
1: That is correct. There are occasionally opportunities for male-to-female workers that have undergone gender-confirming surgery, that have gotten the gender marker changed on their cards. But even then, not all of the locations are open to the idea of having a trans worker, which I think is very silly because there's a tremendous amount of interest in By all means, trans women are women. They're just as equally valid. Stop stigmatizing people, guys. Like, come on.
0: It seems ridiculous. I I didn't realize that was the case.
1: Mm -hmm. Interesting. Do you see any
0: movement on that in Nevada, Alice?
1: I would like there to be. I would love to see an LGBT-friendly brothel happen, a space where queer individuals, non-binary individuals, gay individuals can come and have their sexual desires fulfilled. They're just as valid, and there's just as many people out there that have those interests and those proclivities. It's shameful to me that it doesn't currently exist, and it's something that I really want to see happen in the future, for sure.
0: And maybe uh, maybe even a heightened need or an, a slightly heightened need for the safety that you describe, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely so.
0: Yeah. Well, Alice, you're absolutely fascinating. You seem like a wonderful gal. Um, (laughs) I could keep you forever, but I want to be respectful of your time. Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to touch on before we wrap?
1: I would say the final thing that I would ask anybody listening is be willing to learn more. If you're hearing this and you're like, oh, that kind of sounds interesting, feel free to check out my website, com. I also am creating content that's educationally focused on YouTube under Alice Little TV and learn more about this. If this is something that you're like, oh, this sounds interesting, take the next step and educate yourself. This way, the next time that sex workers come into the conversation, you can speak from a place of education and some authority on there. I'll tell you right now, your friends are going to be really damn impressed and you're like, well, actually... And you're able to throw down some real quality knowledge about intimacy.
0: <laughs> I love it. And I really love, as somebody who believes deeply in entrepreneurship, that, that that you view yourself as such. I love that, you know, right off the top, you called yourself an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, you have done an amazing job uh, being an entrepreneur and getting yourself out there and, and building your profile. I guess maybe before we wrap... What advice would you have for people who are uh, like yourself, solopreneurs in whatever domain um, to to kind of promote yourself and get yourself out there the way you have?
1: Stop waiting and do the thing, whether it's starting a podcast, starting a YouTube channel, investing in a new business venture. What are you waiting for? Stop making excuses. Get out of your own way and do it. Nobody is perfect the first time they do anything like I go back and watch my very first YouTube videos, and I'm like, "Oh, trench fest!" But everybody starts somewhere. You just have to take that first damn step and get out of your own way.
0: Well, Alice, you're priceless. I can't thank you enough for this wonderful conversation, and uh, I'd love to have you back anytime.
1: By all means, I'd love to chat again.
0: Stay legendary, my friend.
1: Thank you. Have a good one.
0: Well, I sure hope you uh, enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I sure did. And uh, um, <laughs> what else are you going to say? If you haven't checked out uh, part one of this two-part series on intimacy and sex with my friend Alana Pratt, please do that as well. And um, that's it. All right. We would like to thank... Well, first, we'd like to thank you. Thanks for hanging out. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much, Alice Little. Uh, You're incredibly generous with your time. And you can check her out on the internet at thealicelittle.com. That's thealicelittle.com. onelifefullylived.org, helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Don't forget to check out my new marketing podcast, Lockhead on Marketing. Uh, about six or eight weeks after we launched, we were number one in marketing, number one in business, and the number one new recommended show by Apple. So it probably doesn't suck if you're in marketing. <laughs> All right, I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and we would love it if you shared the shit out of it. Alright, rights do remain perturbed uh, We must tell you that this podcast Clearly goes better with libations um, If you want to send us email You can send email to blackhole At lockhead.com Be kind, don't forget to have great sex uh, Listen to the Tragically Hip, don't forget Only buy pasture raised free range eggs Because uh, chickens are people too Thank you Candy Dandy I love you mom and dad and hey Colin This oddcast really ties the room together Doesn't it Today, our deepest apologies go to Richard C. Kelly, chairman of the board of PG&E. Sorry, Dick, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. I really appreciate you investing so much of your life with us. Uh, Stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your different...